Okay, we are back with another month of TSB with the podcast and the podcasting network. December is going to be a very exciting month for us, we hope. Um, and this is going to start off right now with the first episode of the month, which is going to be TSB wealth as we interview the the legend Danny Way. Um, I realize that I, I call everybody a legend, but this guy is. Um, first and foremost, he's a Michigan native, like everybody from the podcast here. Um, well, besides Awesome Sauce, Awesome Sauce, I think she was born born in Germany. I, I know she went to Michigan at some point. I have to touch base base with her on that. Oh, first and foremost, uh, like every episode of TSBOF, um, in no particular order, um, PICs on LSD. You can't sit down on a podcast. Eddie Murphy's Law, the 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 myriad, the litany, the litany of shows on our network. Um, listener discretion is advised. If you don't like things like profanity or coarse language, play the episode, put it on mute so we get streams. But you don't, but well, don't listen. Um, if you're cool with all that, back to what I was talking about. So this episode, um, we speak to Michigan's own Danny Way. Um, you all will know him from. A myriad, there's my favorite word again, um, of titles that he wrote for Marvel Comics in the early 2000s to about maybe two years ago, if I'm if I'm being correct. Um, we talk about it all. Um, he was a great guest and a great interview. There were some technical difficulties during the um, conversation, especially towards the beginning of it. But towards the end, it kind of circles back around. And I try to edit it it's to the best of my novice ability to have it sound pretty crisp for you guys. So um, we start off talking about um, his brand new book that was uh, financed by Kickstarter that will hopefully be available to non-backers um, pretty soon here. But it's called Kill Hyphen. Crazy Nymphos Attack! Exclamation point. Um, that is his creator-owned book, and he's very, very, very um committed to doing creator-owned projects, as he as he speaks about during our, our conversation. Um, so that book can be previewed um at www.comicschannel.com. That is comics with an X. Um, but we talk about that amazing book. Um, from what I read on the preview, it is a it is definitely <laughs> um, a fun book. Um, as the conversation begins and as it ends, we have a little book in about kill hyphen crazy nymphos attack exclamation point. Um, and he tells what the uh, concept of that uh, book is. Um, so we caught up with uh, Danny Way at, at his home in Hawaii over technology, of course. Uh, and we talk a little bit about Michigan, how it goes here. Halloween's in Michigan. Uh, Mr. Hot Dog in Bay City. Uh, that's Brent from Brian's Neck of the Woods. Uh, and then we get into it. Like I said, we talk about his work on uh, on his new creator-owned book. We talk about <clears throat> his work in Marvel, uh, especially Deadpool. This is very good, good for all you Deadpool fans out there. Um, anyone who came to Deadpool with the movies or the comics in the recent years, they have Danny Way to thank for that. He changed and revolutionized uh, revolution or not? Yeah, he changed forever the characterization of Wade Wilson. Um, I would argue, and I think it's a winning argument, that he is the best Deadpool writer in the history of Deadpool writers. Um, Don't at me on that. But no, matter of fact, at me if you don't believe me that's at jones subscribe on twitter uh at jones subscribe on instagram if you do not believe that danny wade is the best deadpool writer 
where we talk about his independent book, uh, his a lot of his independent work, as well as how a book that he created with John Proctor called Gun Theory uh, launched and ended the Marvel epic line. It's not his fault. It's uh, corporate shenanigans and to that. And we also speak uh, in great length about uh, creators' rights, uh, creator compensation, which honestly floored Brian and I. Uh, we were floored with some of the revelations that he's told us about how um, our favorite guys and girls um, who create the books that we love and that's used for the mythology of America and it's trans translated into movies, how they're compensated. So definitely be on the lookout for that. So uh, obviously December is a month of Christmas, so we will have a lot of hopefully Christmas things episode Christmas themed episodes of all the shows on the network. Uh, so we're getting we're getting that to you pretty soon here. That might mean we're gonna have a couple of extra episodes of TSBO F the podcast, true stories based on fiction. This is actually coming out a week earlier than what we typically like to do. Cause uh, I know I'm kind of rambling on, but hey, this is my soapbox here. Uh, uh, Evanification for you old school TSBO F fans. So the, each month, there's typically four weeks, right? So the first week is kind of a bye week to where I, I, we might put something out. We may not. This week, this month, we are. I think we did last month, too. The second week will always be true stories based on fiction. When Brian and I talk about comic-related things. Hopefully, Randy gets on some apps pretty soon. Third week is PICs on LSD. We'll awesome sauce myself talk about love, sex, and dating uh, as the partners in crime. And then the fourth week week of the month is always going to be D Mac and I talking about, uh, our rap list in no particular order. So this month, um, I promise you guys at least four episodes, hopefully at least one of each show and hopefully multiples of, of a lot of shows as well. We hopefully get some special guest stars in there, but, uh, that's enough for me talking. I know you guys are not here to hear Evan, the third host speak. You're here to hear Daniel way tells about all the dope shit he has going on. So after the, uh, jump, uh, we'll go right into the interview with him talking about kill hyphen crazy nymphos attack. Um, so until then, enjoy the following episode. We are you got exactly 10 minutes to decide if you really want to know. You have built this city. Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've done today. You want to, if, uh, it was a, an idea that I had, I don't know, like a long time ago, like 15 years ago or something. And uh, it had just been knocking around in my head forever. And it wasn't until I was, I was having a conversation with these um, two film directors, Jen and Sylvia Saska, um, 
uh, just talking about the story, they they actually had all the missing pieces that I never could put together. So I said, hey, I have an idea. You guys want to do a comic book together? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, so we got together and did a Kickstarter. And we actually just um, – well, we did the Kickstarter for the print edition first, and then – we actually just concluded one for like the digital edition now that the the books are actually you know on their way from the printer. We had actually we, had, we were at first we were having it printed in China and then <laughs> we got um, uh, censored. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, by the Chinese government. So uh, they said uh, we're sorry. They said we're, we're sorry. We can't we can't finish printing this book. So end up having it printed. Uh, somewhere else yeah because I, I can't imagine any part of the book being uh acceptable in canada i mean in trying to be printed <laughs> <laughs> no it's, uh, i and i get i guess i should have uh looked into that um i didn't realize it was you know because you know so many books get printed in china now right uh, um, I, yeah i didn't realize it was such a huge especially since i mean at the outset no one you know, no one told me, you know, we were dealing with the printer. We sent him the image files and, and, uh, I was actually on a plane and, uh, I was really excited because I was like, Oh my gosh, now that, you know, Delta has Wi-Fi, <laughs> uh, or you can send texts and stuff uh, that you don't have to pay, you know, like $600 for. I was like, cool. I can kind of <laughs> chat with people on this flight. And, uh, all of a sudden, uh, so I, I guess everyone had, like, as soon as we started dealing with printers in China, I had to download this thing called WhatsApp. Yep. So that's how everybody, that's like their, their uh, and uh, all of a sudden it starts lighting up and it's the printer saying, much apologies, uh, we can't print your book, or if we did, we'd have to print it at night and you have to sneak it out of here. <laughs> I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> this is not what I want to hear. <laughs> But yeah. Anyway, um, it's uh, yeah, it's a hell of a book. It's a lot of fun. It's uh, I, I'm looking forward to kind of uh, getting it out there in the world finally. Yeah, um, sure. You know, first order businesses to get it out to the folks that backed it on Kickstarter. But after that, like we'll uh, between myself and Jen and Sylvia, uh, like we'll have it at conventions and we'll put it online for sale somewhere somehow. Um, I don't, I doubt we'll go the route of, you know, like going through diamond, um, uh -huh. because it's, uh, I don't know. It's a really genre thing. And there's a bit of a bottleneck there in most comic shops, you know, they kind of lean on Marvel and DC and I guess, yep. you know, more so image nowadays, but you know, this is not that this is not, you know, it's not superhero stuff. So it actually, I think we'll do, we'll be better off just kind of hand sling it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, Diamond can definitely be like, Oh, okay. So uh, I'm Evan. I'm, well, I'm Evan too, to you, I guess. <laughs> and uh, this is my co-host. Oh Brian. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was confusing. <laughs> hey, nice, nice to meet you guys. So nice you're in, you. you're in where? Saginaw, Bay City. So I'm from Saginaw, right. Houston, Bay City, but we're actually recording in Midley, which is about an hour south of uh, where you grew up in a West Branch, right? I, I, I know, I know where. Yeah, I know where Midland is. Okay. And uh, is Mr. Hot Dog still around? Yes, it is. <laughs> yep, that's actually about two minutes from my house. 
<laughs> That's hilarious that you know that. <laughs> no kidding. Hey, I always had fish. Mm-hmm. It was, I don't know why that was. I don't think I've ever actually had a hot dog at Mr. Hot Dog. Oh, I no? have had the fish dinner many times. No, it's fish dinner in a box. <laughs> I've had I the Coney dogs there quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, imagine. I mean, if I were to go back there nowadays, I would, that's probably what I would get. <laughs> yeah, man, like, we've got to at least get you back down here for, like, Motor City one of these years. Mm, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a stretch for most conventions, you know, <laughs> across the Pacific. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it, it, but um, that, be, I, that being said, you know, I, like I said, I still have a a lot of work that I end up doing on the mainland. So mm-hmm. I'll probably, if you see me at a convention, it's probably because I'm off the island for some other reason as well. Gotcha. Um, so, so that, not so that I don't enjoy conventions. It's just a, a bit difficult for you. <laughs> I mean, and, and, you know, shows, you know, they have to cover the, they have to cover the expenses and stuff and it, it can be a bit much, you know? Right. I mean, but uh, if it gives you hope, uh, this past year, uh, Frank Crankley came. He's all the way in Scotland. Yeah, yeah, it's about uh, it's about the same distance. <laughs> yeah, we used to bring my buddy uh, Steve Dillon over for the convention in Traverse City. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Really? That would have been, I wish I would have known that. At the time, I would have tried to definitely get up there and <clears throat> see him before unfortunate passing. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a loss, man. Uh, um, is it true that you've done more work with Steve Dillon than any other writer? Mm, Garth, uh, Garth Ennis has, has probably done, is, yeah, probably, yeah, done more work with, uh, Steve than I did. I mean, cause they did, well, they did quite a run on Hellblazer there and of course Hell they did all featured right. together. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I think, I think I probably, I think I'm in second place. You would have to be. Fine Garth. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, you, we did quite a few books together. Yeah. All, all the origins. Uh, I don't think he missed an issue there, if, mm-hmm. I, if I can remember. Um, oh no, he, he no, he did. He Steve was with. He was on origins. Uh, I don't know. I I forget. I think uh, it, it. He was there twenty, eighty some odd issues. I think, um, and that thing went. 50, 55 issues. I can't remember. It went, it went quite a while. Who took his place? <clears throat> a bunch of people. Um, I've got the whole series. <laughs> we brought in, uh, I remember brought in Mike Diodato. Yes, during... Um, at the time, wasn't... Uh, it was, it, that was, it, at the time, he wasn't getting a lot of work, you know, at Marvel. Hmm. And um, at the, I... I there's this thing that's some uh, that's pretty effective. Um, if there's a, an artist that you want to keep on a book, you just kind of start asking them what they really want to draw. Uh-huh. Um, especially on you know your first issue, because not only do you want them to be excited about the project, um, you know a lot of them count quite a bit on sales of the original pages. You know, right. so um, I said, well, like, what's what's your you know. The, what would you just love to do? And he's like, man, I love the, I love it when 
Wolverine fights with the Hulk, you know, like so we ended up doing that and it worked because we were doing this thing. I think it was I think it was called Original Sin. Um so there's a yeah. lot of flashbacks and Origins was pretty heavy on flashbacks anyway. Uh-huh. But um he just so I wrote like this Valentine script for him and he was drawing the hell out of it. And um Axel Alonso, who was editing the book at the time, and I had this and a lot of the several editors do this, but they'll put all of the art for the, like the current issues that they're working on, they'll just be on clipboards stuck on the wall. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess Ben just walked in and took soft, you know, he saw what Dio was doing, and he's like, uh, "Yeah, this guy, he should be on Adventures." <laughs> Son of a bitch! <laughs> I got Dio for I got Dio for all of one book, and he got he got traded up to the big league. <laughs> Um, what was the inspiration between yeah, behind the X or the uh, actually Dougie Braithwaite? Uh, yes, I remember uh, now. Braithwaite was on it for quite a bit. He's, I remember. he's a Michigan guy. Yep, yep, yep. I remember now. Yep, you're right. Um, what was the inspiration behind the uh, the Wolverine Origins book? Was uh, that kind of an idea that came to you, or something that Marvel uh, and you went to Marvel, or something Marvel came to you about and asked to write? Uh, a, a bit of a bit of both. He had, yeah, he had asked about. Um, just story ideas that were fairly evergreen that could be, you know, kind of plugged in here or there to the schedule. Um, that's actually how I came up with the whole idea of shooting the Hulk off the planet too. Mm-hmm. Same kind of, same kind of deal. But, um, uh, I had this story. It was called a story called shadow on the sun. And, uh, where, you know, throughout this Wolverine story, you're, it's, it's kind of this weird POV kind of, thing and then you realize that you're actually kind of watching all this through the eyes of character revealed to be Wolverine's son who's been like following his dad like literally following in his footsteps and yet had not done anything the same way um and it was there's a lot of intriguing stuff there in the in kind of the sketch of the story that Axel liked um but obviously you know you revealed that Wolverine has a son it, it's not one of those things that belongs in kind of a, a throwaway um, miniseries, you know, that's not other, you know, like really connected as Marvel, as Axel would say, to the tapestry of Marvel <laughs> comics. Um, so it just kind of sat there in the background, and then I was, uh, I was, they had asked me to, to come on the Wolverine book, and that was um, during House of M. And I had made the case to Brian Bendis that initially in the in the pitch, um, Wolverine, in order to set things to right, Wolverine had to give up his memories. Um, And I I disagreed with that. And I said, you know, I, I think a bigger sacrifice for him would be to keep them while everyone else you know, got right to, you know, get reset. Um, because, you know, he's been chasing after this thing for so long and then he gets it and then he, you know, it all just kind of lands on him. This is why he's for, you know, so long he's felt that need to atone is because he's done some pretty awful things, you know, um, like he always had that gut feeling, but here now, now he actually had the memories to go with it. And, um, you know, if anything, his greatest wish would be to be rid of that, 
you know, mm-hmm. and his his greatest kind of fear and and this what made it the sacrifice is that he alone would retain these memories and everyone else would get to you know go back to quote unquote normal and um brian agreed with that um and uh covered kind of that was when i was setting up this uh house event it was the story arc in wolverine that happened with mystique and all this stuff while house event was going on Mm -hmm. and um so out of that i guess that that started the conversation of um, you know what do we do with Wolverine now that he has his memories back and uh, Axel remembered that story that I pitched him and I was already on the book and he and he said well how about this let's move that you know let's the the Wolverine book will cease to be as it is and it'll switch over to Wolverine origins and so it'll have its own kind of space and um, but in the place of the of the Wolverine book on the shelves, at least for I don't know for a while, like a few months. The first arc, I kind believe. of find its its feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so that that was it. And, and I, when they came to me with that, I, I worked up a bunch of I worked up like line, you know, kind of. And it wasn't. It was. It was um, it was actually kind of easy to start stringing it all together because um, he was in like, a giant loop that kept repeating, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, right. where he would, you know, he goes, he come, he's like the wild man in the woods. And then he gets coaxed into civilization, usually um, being led by his heart, you know, and he gets kind of brought into the fold and become, you know, becomes part of the group and is leaving his animal ways behind. And then, um, then something horrible happens usually to the woman that he's attached to. And this triggers this regression that sends him back to being the wild man in the woods and then repeat, 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 repeat. It's just been going on forever and ever and ever. And I mean, obviously the reason it, kept, it keeps happening in the book is, is because that's publishers. The first time it happened, publishers realized the publisher realized Oh, this is popular and it sells. <laughs> so let's have them go through it again. And again, again, and, again. and again, and again. So I had this kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, my task there was just to kind of string it all together and explain why. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was a learning experience. I, I, I can, I can tell you that. Um, it was just a, a bunch of things, but, you know, out of that, we did. We I did get to bring in the character, the docking character, um, mm-hmm. and she ended up getting his own series. Yep. Um, it was Dark Wolverine, right? Yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> it, um, I, I had asked Marjorie Lou to come in and um, uh, co-write it with me because <laughs> um, I just I she just had you know having you know. Been, I was already a fan of her work and um, she just had everything. She was the right writer for the job just all around. And um, unfortunately it was just a hard, it was just hard to get it past some, some, you know, editorial a lot really? of times. Well, you know, what we intended to do. Yeah. I think just it, it put people on edge inside the company. They had this character and, 
I think there were there was a considerable amount of people inside the company that just wanted another Wolverine, you know, a, mm-hmm. a twin revenue stream. Yeah. And that is not what we were doing. Um, it didn't make it any less popular. I mean, I go around the world and that character is crazy popular. Yeah, man. Um, but not necessarily because of his association with Wolverine. Mm-hmm. I just think people like that that it was such a – I don't think it's – I don't know. I, I don't think it would have attained the level of popularity it did if it, if it hadn't been for the association with Wolverine. But I think that also the audience was looking for a different kind of character, particularly – you know, the idea at the outset is that we've seen the anti-hero character a lot, especially throughout the 90s. Right. Um, I wanted to make an anti-villain. Um, how did you feel about uh, when they killed him off and then now that they brought him back? Are you kind of like because he's Marvel's character now, like you're fine about that? Or did you feel, feel like some type of way about that? Uh, well, I want to have to admit, I, I actually haven't read those stories. <laughs> um, but it's... Uh, I, the, but I've always known that it was Marvel's character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, like th- that was, there were little things at the beginning where that made it pretty clear, you know, like, um, that's why I was tasked with coming up with a physical dragon, uh, especially it wasn't a tribal dragon. Um, it was different. It was, just, it was a, centipede design it's called a bukkake it's a japanese thing um and it's a it's a tattoo that people wouldn't get it's not a good thing to have <laughs> um and but joe Kasada was the one that um you know a sort of officer of the, of the corporation <laughs> so he's the one who is credited with coming up with the, he came up with the character design Really? Believe it or not, that the third claw that comes out of the interior part of his, his wrist, um, that idea came from Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman? How did that come about? Yeah. He mentioned it to Joe. Wow. So did Neil Gaiman just, just hang yeah, around like right? the... Yeah, uh, like Marvel offices at that time? <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> no, I think it might have been. You know, it's Thomas. It's a small pool True. of people, you know. They always want to shoot the shit with each other at some point. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, so, also, I wanted, well, we want to be the first to kind of give you your flowers while you're here because you're probably low key, which should be high key, one of the most influential comic book writers right now because a lot of the Deadpool movie was all things you did. Um, the Bullseye and Daredevil was kind of your bullseye. Um, th- Is it? I would I haven't say seen so. That one either. Yeah, yeah. I like. A- I, uh, I I did an interview. Um, Abe, Abe Reisman from uh, York magazine called me and we ended up talking for quite a bit i think he only used like like five words for my interview and in the piece <laughs> okay. that he wrote but uh he he actually gave me some background on what he had seen of bullseye in the daredevil series um and i it just evolved into us talking about bullseye and it had nothing to do with the, the TV <laughs> um but yeah like the deadpool yeah i mean i uh that's kind of a big thing uh I still, I, 
most people kind of associate me with that and that's fine. Um, and it's, that's another kind of cool thing. I, I, I mean, now to that it, it, people find this it's hard to believe, but it wasn't that long ago where, you know, I'll put it to you this way. When I went to Marvel and said, Hey, I want to do a, a Deadpool book. The resounding answer was why? Right, you know, I, and no I one, remember that time. No one was excited Agent about X. that. Agent X, you want to bring yeah. back him back? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually wrote an, uh, a story arc for that one. Yeah, I um, remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like um, the, Axel and I were had been kind of biding our time because mm-hmm. uh, we talked here and there, you know, over the years. We both liked the Deadpool character. Um, and I thought there was a lot there and I thought it could be really cool. But, um, especially after, you know, after having launched the origin origins book, um, which, you know, which was, I mean, it was great that it had such great sales, but it also had like a huge amount of, um, expectation attached to it. It, it definitely um, did. It was a big deal. So there was a story was, arc in origins. there was some pressure there. There was a story arc in origins with Deadpool in there. Wasn't there? Yeah, that. Yeah, I did that as. Yeah, <laughs> back to um, That was that was uh, it was it was I called it a soft opening. Uh-huh. Um, it was a way to um, well a get Deadpool back in the spotlight and b um, kind of introduce my take on Deadpool. Which um, is the take on Deadpool yeah, now? Up really well, that yeah, because yeah, that's the take. Yeah, it does seem to be. You you you, well, yeah, you made well, him you made him the fun I mean, character. Yeah, the, where he just goes uh, kind of between being really light and blithe to like really uh, just come really dark and, and nihilistic. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, that was. That was kind of the point. Um, mm-hmm. We just had perhaps outside of mortality, you know, nonetheless living. Um, I just thought that was a weird place to be. So, uh, and so yeah, that's why I just kind of went the way I did with it. And then, I mean, I, I think because of the fact that, like, I wrote the video game and, and right. I worked with, um, uh, yeah, I know that the first film was especially was really informed by, um, by my you know, that, that relaunch. And, uh, cause I mean, I worked with, with, you know, I was talking with Tim Miller for years before, mm-hmm. you know, we finally got a green light and went, um, just going, you know, talking about the script, talking about interactions and kind of characterization and shit. Um, right. yeah, I mean, and, and you know, as when I was, as I was writing Origins and Deadpool, that that Wolverine Origins movie came out, yes. and uh, which which didn't do me any favors. Can um, I change the title? <laughs> but it was, yeah. Well, but it was I. It was just really frustrating in that I I w- I thought I was convinced that Ryan Reynolds would make a great Deadpool. It's just you know one you'd have to let him talk, mm-hmm. and it would just come down to you'd have to you'd have to write the lines straight and then let Ryan Reynolds do 
do his thing on top of it. Otherwise, it would come off as just being insufferable. Right. It's and, a very thin uh, line. <laughs> yeah. I think that's yeah, that's what we got. You know, sometimes you just have to you just have to write it straight down the middle, and then kind of like what I did with Hit Monkey. You know, like the first Hit Monkey story is this epic kind of poem, right? Mm-hmm. It's very you know stilted, but that's what you're reading. But what you're seeing is a monkey with guns, you know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so it, it, that's where the comedy comes from, right? Um, so uh, let me ask you this, this about Deadpool. How did you come up with the dueling monologue? Because when I first read that in Origins, I was like, what the fuck is this? But it took back after, by the time the issue was done, I, I, I caught on, but I was confused mm-hmm. as fuck initially. And it's great now, but yeah, how did you come well, up with that? <laughs> I well one I've never been a fan of um, <laughs> a lot of like exposition or, or dialogue uh-huh. of the characters while they're fighting and that's just a comic book thing I mean you go to I go to a boxing gym one time and get in the ring and the first thing you're gonna learn is keep your mouth shut mm-hmm. while you're fighting otherwise someone's gonna push your teeth yeah get some exposition out there or almost as a means of like triangulation. So you would have this, not necessarily an angel and a devil, but you would have these all he was, he's like, he's always exploring the possibilities of what could the way things could go mm-hmm. uh, and looking at them from really bizarre angles. And, and then in the middle you had this, it, it's not that there were, two voices well there was two voices that you could read and then there was deadpool's thoughts which right. he kept to himself mm-hmm. um so it gave you it, it gave you kind of a an idea of what of way of the way it might go or the way it could go and then you were entertained by what deadpool actually did yes does that make any sense yeah no no it, it makes per- it <laughs> makes mean, perfect once, sense it's I just decided to go for it because the way I saw it, very few rules actually apply to the character. <laughs> and look, for all I know, you know, the the, the character had flatlined. It was not popular. Facts. Um, for all I knew, I was going to write one story arc, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's Mar- that was Marvel's take too, because they would only approve that book for like the first year, three issues at a time. Wow. Um, even when it hit as big as it did, they were like, eh, it could be a fluke, you know, because <laughs> the, the, for the, in the first one, I convinced Brian to let us tie into uh, secret invasion. And, and they were just, so they were just hesitant, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot, I think a lot of people within the company were like, you know, it's a comedy and that's just, that doesn't sell. Um, it, it, they couldn't, they didn't, they didn't understand why it sold, but eventually they understood that it sold Enough so, and to their credit, that they completely left me alone. I mean, I had oh, wow. an editor. I always had an editor on the book, but the editor only dealt with um, trafficking, uh, like art. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I would be writing three different story arcs at one time, um, so three different artists. And a lot of times, those artists' first language wasn't English. <laughs> um, so there was a lot going on there. Um, so, but like as far as the story stuff, I never had to turn in outlines or that's crazy any of that stuff. They just left me completely alone. Well, in the end, it I really mean, was- your your entire run of the of Deadpool was kind of one long long form story arc. I mean, if I remember correctly, because I know a lot of it dealt with him trying to find 
it was kind of him trying to find his place within the Marvel universe, wasn't it? So he was trying to see if he was, could become part of the X Men. Uh, <laughs> that was a good story. Went, was yeah, he wanted working. to be. He wanted to be at, at the at the beginning. He wanted to be the world's greatest mercenary, right? Mm-hmm. And but the problem was, even though he had done all these amazing things, <laughs> um, no one knew it was him, and yeah. that drove him nuts because <laughs> uh, it, it was because Norman Osborn was taking credit for it. Um, and so it was like, you know, Giddy, even with Osborne, who, you know, he ended up sending you know, the bullseye after him, you know, bullseye Hawkeye and that whole meat soup thing. Um, and then, and when that ultimately got it, that was ultimately resolved in the most mercenary way possible. They just paid him off. <laughs> I mean, and that's it. Right, right. He just got a huge payday and it was such a hollow victory. Well, you know, he blew his brains out, but those came back. And then when we, then he just, then he's just kind of literally afloat, um, in the ocean and having existential conversations with a rotting shark. And then he becomes a pirate for a little bit. For like two issues. <laughs> if I remember, Bob correct. is parrot. Yeah. If I remember correctly, yeah, that, uh, pirate, that pirate, that uh, pirate, storyline was one of my favorite ones. I mean, that was just pure yeah. comedy. Yeah, that was good. I, I liked the. Uh, I always thought the line "You smell like bullets and taco meat" was <laughs> was one of one of my one of my better turns. Uh, but then, but then he, you know, he has this he has this realization. You know, he's going to be um, he's a mutant. He's going to go join the X Men because you know the X Men had been um, you know kicked out off of the East Coast and they were setting up shop in the Marin Headlands and yeah, uh, yep, he's yep. going to go join the X Men. You know and. Um, you know, he ends up doing something really helpful for them, but he he does it by being the bad guy. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and so that doesn't work. And they then they tell him with pretty clearly. Eventually, they're like, you know, there's no there's no way we're letting you into this group. You know, you're not a you're not you're not a team player. You know, you're the guy who who keeps the you know you keep the grenade and throw the pin. Mm-hmm. It, it, that doesn't war group you're you know you're a like a masked avenger right you're a, a, a solo actor and he's like yeah like spider-man so off he goes to new york you know? <laughs> um, i'm gonna be you know he's gonna be that kind of hero and that doesn't work out you know and eventually you know he's, he's just looking to be not not necessarily a part of any of everything but just to be like i don't know recognized you know mm-hmm. and uh and eventually it all boils down to, you know, if he's the, if his, if his thing, and it really does seem to be this way with his character, what he really wants is all the things that he can't have. Um, and the one thing that he, the, one of the biggest things for him that he can't have, and this is probably why his dream woman is death, is that he can't, you know, something that everyone else in the world can do, die. He can't do it. So... He figures out a way to get that done. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that, we move into that Operation Annihilation story where he try, tries to piss off the Hulk to the point where it just blows, you know, smashes mm-hmm. him to nothing. And um, yeah, but then you know, someone gets a hold of a sample of his baby hair and uh, <laughs> cook, cooks up a formula, and that acts up, you know. And we did Evil Dead pool thing, which I thought was mm-hmm. funny. And yeah. actually, you you had mentioned Agent X. In that Agent X storyline, there's a character who asked Deadpool this question. 
that, you know, if your head was cut off, would your body grow a new head and your head grow a new body? And that's always been in my mind, you know? Mm -hmm. So when we did evil Deadpool and you had this crazy woman who had been collecting his body parts and keeping them frozen for so long, when they thawed out, they just all stuck together and connected tissue. (laughs) And that was evil Deadpool. (laughs) But you know, when you, so when, uh, Evil Deadpool gets shot with the serum that negates his healing factor, and then Evil Deadpool is killed. Deadpool gets stung with the same thing, and then we get these – what I thought was a fairly interesting run with the character where for the first time as Deadpool, you actually saw him fighting for his life. Right. Um, where he, he, he had to be really good. Um, he couldn't just, you know, cheat and mm-hmm. let – you know uh, – it, it, it's pretty easy to win a gunfight when you can't die, right? You don't even have to be a particularly good shot. And you just just keep shooting until they die. Because it's like when he's arguing with Punisher in the Thunderbolt story arc. He's like, you might kill me first, but I'll kill you last. <laughs> and that's it. Right. He's, he's this unending proposition. Um, and then when at the end of my run, when you see Evil Deadpool, you realize that the serum doesn't last forever and therefore when Deadpool dies at the end you know that he's coming back and I thought that teed him up really well for what Brian and Jerry were coming mm-hmm. on to do yeah I, I would definitely but at that agree. point I was I was definitely out of ideas at that point <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, mean I you, you did a lot I was only going to stick around I was only going to stick around for 50 issues and I ended up doing 65 uh-huh. and I wrote those last 15 and probably six or seven months, you know? Wow. Really? I'd only, st- I only stuck on the, you know, cause they Marvel, I, they knew what the plan was. And then at the 11th hour, they're like, can you please hang around for like another year? Cause I guess the other guys weren't ready yet. Mm. And I was like, Oh no. Uh, <laughs> said, said, are, some ideas. You said, are you going to pay me more? <laughs> no, I think even at one point they, no, they didn't offer to pay me more. That's sure. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you about uh, my favorite book of yours that I just saw came out on hardcover that I, I that I miss Gun Theory because the first two issues mm-hmm. came out under Marvel Epics line and then I don't think it, it finished or did it I couldn't find it anywhere. Mm-hmm. No, it um, the first two issues came out and then the whole of of the Epic line was just scrubbed. Um, we. Yeah, it was, that was a that was a crazy time. You know, we had <laughs> uh, John Proctor, the the artist, the co-creator, of Gun Theory. He and I had come up with this story, and we were just going to do it as an indie book. You know, mm-hmm. um, I I was just starting to get work at Marvel, and um, so anyway, we're just we we're going to do this book. We we're going to do it like in you know an eighty-eight page, just kind of a novella kind of thing, right? And Axel, we, we we printed up like a 12-page preview book and brought it to San Diego. Um, Axel got a hold of a copy and he's like, "Why? Why I me? Mean, why don't I know about this?" And I'm like, "Well, it's not, it's not a Marvel book, you know." I just figured, what, it, you know, you wouldn't care. <laughs> um, and he's like, "Well, we have this thing that we're putting together called Epic, and it's going to be creator-owned stuff. You know, do you want to? You should bring it there." And uh, it seemed like a good idea. And then, frankly, it was a really good deal. And um, 
So we started to do that. We had to go back and change it up because they wanted to do it as individual issues. So we had to change the story up a bit as far as the like the mechanics of it. Spacing um, and all. To play across, yeah, to play across like four issues. Um, and because it didn't, which was you know, it was ideal. You know, you got three acts. Um, four so again it's a strange strange structure um so made the changes we're okay with it we're working on it and then i guess at some point uh this fella avi arad was on the west coast Mm -hmm. um uh kind of you know seeing if he could put together some deals for it at what point someone took a look at the contract and realized that marvel didn't actually own it we did, and um, that really pissed him off. And <laughs> so we ended up calling Bill Janis and having it out with him. And the end result was Epic went away. Uh, wait, wait. So are you that, implying that you got the entire Epic line canceled? No, that would be obvious. <laughs> I, I just don't, I don't think he saw the sense of Marvel putting out books that they didn't own, Lock, Stock, and Barrel. Mm-hmm. And you know when they have thousands of characters already. All right. Um, so, but to their credit, Marvel did. We got a um, the they they did the rights reversion within like days. I think um, oh. Jemis and Dan Buckley were impressed by the whole thing. Um, but it just kind of it, I, you know, it left a bad taste in our mouth. So that's why sure. it took like thirteen years to go back and finally we just basically went back to the original story and um, started over from from scratch art wise and. Oh, wow. um, yeah, we put it out through Dark Horse. It's like it's like the feel bad book of 2017 or whatever. Whenever, actually, I think it was the end of 2016. Came out December. Um, but yeah, I always tell people, you know, it, they'll see it on my table at like convention and they'll pick it up. And I'm just, I'll just have to feel compelled to warn them that you know this is not a happy book. You're not gonna <laughs> laugh. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty dark. But it was yeah. always supposed to be. Yeah. And then, yeah, I love those two issues. And, and I don't know how I missed that that came out through a Dark Horse, but I, I actually put it in an well, order for Well, I think that, that's why it was Dark Horse put it out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of uh, it just kind of <laughs> snuck into the uh, – it definitely didn't set any sales records, that book. <laughs> um, but, I mean, you can still find it. You can probably still find it pretty cheap. Yeah, I think on Amazon I bought it for like maybe 12 or 13 I want to say. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think that, and that's also also why, like with this with this book, "Kill Crazy and Info's Attack" that I did with Jen and Sylvia, um, that was one of the reasons why I decided that we were just gonna kind of um, not bother with the direct market um, mm-hmm. or even the bookstore market because it just there's too many middlemen and it's just tough to get a book. In you know noticed in that market because the margins there are so thin um, that you know retailers can't take a hell of a lot of chances you know Um, it's just and and even when they do you understand that that you know the uh, indie publishers only get like forty percent of the cover price right and out of that forty percent they have to pay all the production costs and stuff yikes so. And the now, do you have anything um, 
Mm-hmm. Do you have anything besides just the Kickstarter that you're working on right now? I remember at one point in time you were oh, yeah. doing the uh, Kick, uh, Hit Girl series. Or for a, oh, yeah. Uh, I have no idea when that's going to come out. But, uh, yeah, I just did um, final lettering revisions on the second issue of the Hong Kong arc. Nice. Um, Who's your artist on that? It ha- if it hasn't been announced, I'd rather not. If you can find it online during the span of this conversation, I'll <laughs> definitely confirm it. But it's, the book is gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And it's someone I've actually wanted to work is with. Is it Raphael Albuquerque? No, that was who was originally going to do it, but um, I think he Mark ended up tapping Raphael for... Uh, yeah, I think he's he actually doing the series. Becoming for... Mark's go-to guy, yeah? yeah? Yeah, I think he's actually doing the run right now, because I think He's doing it. Then I think Kevin Smith is possibly the next four issues mm-hmm. um, in Hollywood. And then uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's yours after that. So um, how did that work come about? Just uh, I think uh, – I, well, I think he was being um, – Mark had, had asked around um, – Mark was looking for me, and uh, I mean, he and I had traded emails, but it was always in chains before, like when we were working on Civil War, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, he just reached out to me uh, through just like back channel and uh, asked about it, and and I, uh, he said that you know gave me the idea, you know, to be Hit Girl and kind of moving from um, uh, just playing on a you know, a global playground, you know, moving, mm-hmm. moving her around the globe, um, which is how I ended up doing um, Hong Kong and then Paris. Um, is it Gor- Goran Par- Parlov? There you go. Yeah, Goran. Goran Parlov. Just found, yeah, just found an article with it. It came out in September, yeah. I think. And it is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I haven't mm-hmm. seen the colors, though. I'm, I'm kind of curious. I mean, the, the but the pencils, the inks. Fantastic! Oh, I'd love to be able to or see a get a little glimpse of that. <laughs> I'll shoot uh, Rachel Fulton in. Uh, <laughs> she might she might post something. Um. So I guess let's kind of get into this. So um. So why did the Marvel work in? Was it kind of your decision that takes this change? Um. After Axel left, or was it like a uh, like your hmm. choice? Yeah, it was, you know, I, I started out as a self-publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a, I, I produced an independent book. I won a Xeric grant that allowed me to actually print. Um, in my mind, I, I had always thought that my, my plan had always been to, um, like, that's where my heart was. And then I was going to just, I was going to do this Marvel stuff and, um, you know, build up my, get some name recognition going and get, um, l- well, learn. <laughs> I'm kind of lucky in that I got to learn how to write comics mm-hmm. by writing comics for Marvel. Um, and then, you know, use that in, to, you know, put it into working on independent books and do these two things simultaneously. And a lot of writers can do this. And it just became painfully obvious to me that I wasn't one of those writers. Mm-hmm. I was either going to do the Marvel stuff or 
and not it, I was going to do the indie stuff, but what wasn't going to happen because it hadn't happened in 13, 14 years. So mm-hmm. I wasn't going to do both. <laughs> and I was doing a lot of other stuff, you know, like, I mean, I've, I've, you know, I own several companies and doing all kinds of random stuff. But, um, mm-hmm. when it, as far as the writing, it was just, it was always channeled and kind of, I'm just a, I'm a very monogamous writer, right? <laughs> um, and, uh, my contract came up and it was, it was just time. Right. Um, and I guess it didn't hurt that I, at the time I was, I'd been working on this Thunderbolts book mm-hmm. and, um, that ended up being just as frustrating as Dark Wolverine ended up being in that I was, the idea that was pitched to me and what Marvel now, the way Marvel, this publishing initiative called Marvel now mm-hmm. was described to me is that it was, this was we were no more silver age retread, you know, this was now Marvel comics <laughs> in the world today. Right. And so I, I was doing this, this very geopolitical book, you know, it's Thunderbolts and where you had this self-appointed, you know, you know, <laughs> force of justice that was Thunderbolts, you know, bopping around the globe. Um, just, just shredding all the red tape, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the big question, which came up in the second arc, which was, yeah, there was a lot of fireworks internally is that, you know, the question of like, who are the bad guys here? You know, cause I kind of think it's the guys on the cover, right? You know, they just bust in. They have no mandate to be there. There's no, you know, diplomatic or political or, you know, it's just, they just decide that they're going to get involved and they do and people are dying. And, um, so I think once the, the T word got thrown into the conversation, that was the beginning of the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I still think it's a conversation worth having, but, um, uh, it just became, it became a, uh, a sticking point. A lot of exasperated emails back and forth. And wow. it was just like, and I started to think that maybe what this was happening is that, you know, it's those kinds of um, kind of personally, you know, your kind of personal ideology. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff that should go in your creator own books. It doesn't really belong in these books that you're just essentially a steward for. Right. Yeah, I could see. Um, it, 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 and I was just trying to jam these things in there, and they weren't. I thought they were fitting quite well, but I, I, my whole career, I've written for an audience of one. That's me. <laughs> um, and it, it just, it that, and that wasn't enough to get that one over the line. I mean, the book to this day, I still get a lot of compliments on that book. Yeah, it was but, uh, great. It's it 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 was just too much stress, and every time I would turn in a draft, and again, you know, I'd just come off of like Deadpool, where I, it, it no one ever asked. Anything. <laughs> I was totally spoiled rotten, and then all of a sudden, I'm getting all this stuff tossed back at me. Can we change this? Can we change that? Yikes! I'm like, 
we what do you mean we can we change <laughs> you know, you're asking me yeah i mean yeah we can change it if we want it to suck <laughs> uh, i i personally don't but uh but anyway um it like i said it was just time you know when you're it, 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 it's just like you know if you're on a you're on a you're on a professional baseball team you spend half your practice arguing with a coach you probably don't belong on that team right Exactly. You know, because the whole point is to play baseball games and hopefully win them. You know, <laughs> my the point of me being there was, you know, the point of Marvel having me around is to pump out books, which I did for them for a lot, quite a while. And yeah. A lot of books, a lot of books that sold really, really well. And it was, just, it was done. And I had other things I wanted to, to do, and I needed time to do them. You know, time to work on not just... I mean, comics is my first love, and, and it's always kind of how I start things. But, um, you know, now I work in all forms of, of, of media. entertainment media. And, and, and it's, it's – having started in comics is a, is a good thing for that. It's because it teaches you how to work fast. It teaches you how to work with limited resources. It teaches you how to – I don't know. You just get used to kicking out the jams real fast right mm-hmm. and uh a lot that kind of really blows people away who are working in you know you know you know working on a game or working on you know something for you know one of these streaming services and they'll be like yeah so can we get the notes on that by i don't know like february and i'm like what <laughs> i'm used to hearing like tuesday you know they'll give me some deadline that's you know and not only do they give you all the time in the world that it's like the money's in you know it's just so much better than working right. in mainstream comics which is crazy um, right <laughs> yeah it is right you'd think and i gotta say it's not that you know i i know marvel doesn't so i'm assuming that dc probably operates in a lot of similar fashion but you know when you're working on these quote-unquote you know marquee titles um you're led to believe that you are you know you're at the top of the food chain you know you should and and of course you should be grateful of your position there um but the fact of the matter is you know you can you can go work on you know some like just literally almost anything else even I mean, like commercials. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've I heard that a it lot takes lately. So it takes uh, a lot less work. Uh, it pays a lot more. That they're really, you know, you you, you get ah, fed these like stereotypes. You know, Hollywood is a bunch of snakes and stuff. Um, most of the people that that I've met, you know, in the filmed entertainment business, pretty straightforward, and uh, there's not a lot of not a lot of BS to go around. I think, you know, they're just, especially, you know, people in production, you know, they're just, just like, look, look, I gotta, I gotta make a show here. You know, like you can either help me or, um, you know, and we're, you know, we have the budget to pay for help. You know, we just don't have any time for, for BS. So if you just come in as a straight <laughs> shooter and you don't cause any problems or make anyone's job, uh, you can do quite well. You know, whether it be TV or, you know, TV is kind of where the action is right now. Um, You know, TV in quotation marks. It's not, you know, over the air broadcast TV necessarily, but uh, small screen entertainment. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, there's also games, there's, you know, and there's online games and 
you know, these games that are free games that are microtransaction games that you know, yeah. just end up making just a gazillion dollars, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> There's all but, kinds uh, of stuff. but, um, to your point about, uh, kind of like the, the pay structure at Marvel and DC and Marvel, especially Jason Henry, who, who drew for Marvel for a long time and Clay Mann have mm-hmm. both been pretty vocal about how even with Marvel and DC and Marvel is the bigger company, they're backed by a bigger corporation and said that they mm-hmm. make pennies compared, um, compared to what they make at DC and, and like you said, in, in outside places, a uh, Clay Mann said yeah. that he made a lot more money drawing Ninjak at Valiant than he did like draw like the X-Men, which is crazy to me. Yeah. Um, well, it, 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 probably there, and I guess just to, in the interest of, of, of fairness, you have to, you have to also mention that I'm sure the original pages of an X-Men book are going to sell for a lot more <laughs> than, uh, you know, than yeah. those of a, a Ninjak book. But, um, yeah, um, page rates are in the toilet right now. Um, That's crazy. All around, I've talked to you know I talked to a lot of people that are you know currently working on books, and I'm really uh, I just I I have referred a lot of people to different you know um, agents and representatives that I've met throughout the years and said, you know, please, please reach out to this person and get yourself some representation. Um, because you know, what, what you're getting paid is horrendous. Um, wow. That's awesome just, that you're uh, looking out for, you know, fellow coworkers and well, everything. You got to It's like this. So if you, Every artist, every writer who's out there who is it will accept these ridiculous, you know, eighty dollar page rate, sixty dollars, you know, a hundred dollar page rate. Eighty dollars? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. What the fuck? Um they'll they make Yikes. it okay for people to get paid less who yes. have less experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, every time you accept, if, every time you play along with that, everyone who's coming up behind you is punished for it. Exactly. Um, and I'm a firm believer that, that a rising tide floats all ships. Mm-hmm. You know, we all should make more. There should be a lot more profit participation in this in this business because – you understand this is the most popular stuff on the planet, right? Exactly, which is why I don't understand why Patriots have gone down. Because I feel like I read. You no, know, they. I've I've talked to writers working today whose names you would know, who have books that sell, who make less than I was making when I started at Marvel in two thousand. How the fuck is that even possible? It shouldn't be. I mean, <laughs> name one thing. What, what costs less now than it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That it, is it, crazy. It's stunning. And uh, that, that's why I, I've always thought that Disney buying Marvel was probably one of the best things for the Marvel brand, but the worst thing for the book. So I feel like when that happened, yeah. But at the same time, Mar- you know, Marvel, Marvel to you know. It, 
and it's not like I have a seat at the table anymore, but <laughs> the last I knew, and it felt like it was just not going to change, is Marvel is always – Marvel publishing turns a profit. I don't know I don't know if DC does, mm-hmm. um, but it's always been run in a way that ensures a profit, and I'm talking about publishing, paper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes that you know, and that's been accomplished by every <laughs> at this point, every possible means. You know, like they got rid of everything in the middle. Um, there is, you know, it, there are no like assistant editors <laughs> who are sometimes essentially interns. You know, they'll have and they'll have sixty books to edit. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's nuts. Um, it's a possible task and that, and so a lot of that stuff has actually been put on creative to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, it's just, it's just run roughshod it, to be honest with you. It, you know what it runs on is it passion and love of the characters and the medium right. is, is, is what that whole system depends <clears throat> on is that at the end of the day, you know, if you've got someone someone's working at Marvel and they're, you know, they're, they're not getting enough. They're they're not being paid a living wage, but right behind them is 300 people who would actually pay to have that job. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a tough, uh, tough nut to crack, you know? Yeah. And ultimately, and and that's why I'm really excited about how kind of this big, uh, a boom, and like image is doing great and mm-hmm. and companies like aftershock and just yeah. a lot of them are out there right now and really putting out great stuff um and that's and i think that's that's awesome and i think it's great that there's so many creators you know unlike me who can um have a foot in you know in both things at the same time and so keep going because sounds like you have to <laughs> Um, have you, I would think, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, but, but like there's, you know, there's some folks like my buddy, Nick Dragata, okay. Mm-hmm. Draws, uh, East of West. Yes. Um, Nick was tried forever. Was, was there, was, has just, Nick has been around in, in this business as long as I have. Mm-hmm. And it's not like he wasn't insanely talented the whole time, but, you know, just trying to get a job here and there, you know, we would. Uh, I, you know, I would, I was always, I, I think I, I succeeded in getting him like one gig, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and he was just hammering away. And then he kind of hung out for a bit working with Mike Allred. And, and then finally, you know, he gets put on, he gets hooked up with this East to West book and, you know, Nick's the kind of guy he can, he can only handle one book and he, now he draws right. the hell out of it. But that's it, one book. So that book has to pay. Plus, I mean, I happen to know Nick lives in the Bay Area. So, like, it really has to pay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, and in his case, it does. You know, that book does really, really well. Um, and Nick's one of the lucky ones. He deserves it. You know, yeah. it's not one, do, one thing doesn't negate the other. Nick's insanely talented and lucky. Right. That's what it takes in um, business. Yeah. But not, that's why, it's, you know, a lot of writers, you know, they can have a book here, a book there. A lot, of, you know, it's, it's a lot more difficult for artists. And that's why it's all the more important that they get, you know, they need to get these page rates 
uh, sorted out. You know, there needs yeah. to be some sort of workable scale here. It's crazy because um, um, as we're talking, I did the math on if, if you get eighty bucks a page and do twenty a month times a year, it's like thirty eight thousand mm. a year. That's barely a, a living wage. If they have a yeah. family or and then that's not including the health insurance, which you have to buy your on your own, right? Yeah, well, uh, if you live like if if you have an exclusive, and exclusives aren't. Uh, that's a long conversation, but let's say you have an exclusive <laughs> like I did. So mm-hmm. if I had lived in New York State, at least back when you know I had a contract with Marvel, I would have been under their Marvel's health insurance. Now I don't know if that survived the you know the uh, when the shakeup in the insurance is um, right. But since I didn't, I was always paid a stipend. Um, so I actually, which at the time I was living in like Georgia, so it was actually, my insurance was cheaper in Georgia than it would have been in New York state. So I actually got a little bit of a surplus on that deal. I mean, not, a, not a lot, you know what I mean? Right, like a couple hundred right. bucks. Um, but yeah, like I don't even, but then again, I, it wouldn't surprise me to find that that's not in contracts anymore. I also talked to somebody, I, I was, I was one of the first people to have um, digital royalties put into my contract. Um, really? I've talked to a, a bunch of creators. That's not in there for them. You know? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, Marvel still pays me to this day. And they should because they're still selling my books. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. Um, but it, the, the only the only reason they're paying is because they're contractually obligated to. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they would not. Yeah. Well, if there wouldn't, if there's not a reason, then they would. <laughs> I mean, um, it is reason. It, it isn't a reason enough that you created characters for them, wrote for them for years, and to keep paying you on the books that could still sell. <laughs> but if it's in the contract, they'll do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess. And I mean, <laughs> uh, who knows? I mean, you know, now, um, you know, John Nee is at Marvel, which John, <laughs> I actually got a text from him. And he's like, he's just out of nowhere. You know, I've known John for, it's not like I know John extremely well. It's just we've rubbed elbows at, um, you know, conventions over, sure. you know, a decade or so. <laughs> um, I get a message from him. Hey, so. I'm at Marvel now, and he's basically like their publisher. And I was like, what? And he had been there for months. And um, just kind of like, you know, if ever you want to, you know, come home, I'm just like, uh, I'm happy for you, John. But, you know, it's kind of like, I think, I think the, the, I think the analogy I made was like, it's like you're banging my ex-wife, you know, (laughs) I'm I'm happy for you, but. I don't want to get involved. <laughs> um, it's, it, it, that being said, you know, if I if I were to wake up one day and have like what I firmly believe is like a, this awesome like a Deadpool story, um, I might ditch it to him. I mean, if it was something, this was always my you know the litmus test for my Deadpool stories, and I I, I think this applies. Um, if you look at what I did, like if you were to remove Deadpool from any of those stories, those Deadpool stories that I wrote, 
um, they totally fall apart and they don't work with another character standing in. True. And that's why, and that was always kind of like, does this work without Deadpool? And if it didn't, if it worked with, with Deadpool and didn't work without him, I knew I had a Deadpool story. Um, so if I had an, you know, one of those great ideas, um, it, and it, it could only, you know, it only worked as the Deadpool story and I was just really in love with it. Yeah. I could call up John and be like, Hey, so I got this, got this idea, you know, now I'd probably put him over a barrel and say, you got to give me this artist and you know, mm-hmm. you got to pay the, <laughs> you got to pay the hell out of them. And you know, you got to make sure that people notice, you know, are aware of the fact that the book is coming out, you know, that kind of stuff. But, um, I might, you know, you never say ever. And like I said earlier, you know, comics is a sense, it's, it's a fishbowl, right? It's a small business. Yeah. But, and eventually you meet everyone in the bowl, right? <laughs> so is Deadpool the only Marvel character that you would go back to, or is there oh, one no. that you. Um, I've, I've said forever, um, if I could, if I could make a, a career just writing bullseye stories, I probably would. I think he could. Um, <laughs> I always loved that character. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just checked the Amazon selling graphic novels currently at number seven. Still. Really? Yeah. What you should have, what you should have done is pitch your, uh, hit girl versus, uh, bullseye storyline. <laughs> <laughs> that'd oh, be a good yeah. fight. <laughs> that could be, that'd be something. And, uh, you, you know, I, I always kind of wanted to see uh, you write Moon Knight with Mark Texera drawing it. Mark Texera. Oh uh, yeah, that would be some. I love you know, I was I was really fortunate in that I I've essentially worked um I like my bucket list of artists. Um, right. I pretty much got it done, and Mark was on that list because you know Tex he is one of those artists where you can see just like a square inch of a panel and be like, Oh, it's Mark Fixer. Yeah, sure, you exactly. Know, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Oh, that's Mike, Mike Mignola. That's Steve Dillon. That, that's Bernie Wrightson. That's like, you just, know. that's Glacey. You know, you, you mm-hmm. just, you, you just know. Right. Uh, I was really lucky in that I actually got to work with him on Ghost Rider. So it was, it was like, double double bonus points there yeah. um, but yeah i remember him um i love I, I actually thought um i loved um bendis's uh I, I thought his uh first issue when he launched uh, relaunched that series i thought the, that first issue it was like a master class and how between that and the first issue of ecstatics that um uh pete milligan wrote mm-hmm. Those are two of the absolute best first issues I've ever read. You know, and I mean, the Moon Knight character is is great. I love Charlie Houston's take on it too. You know, he's yeah, me just, too. He's just, I mean, he's kind of like Batman, but he's really kind of turned into the skid it's as far as being crazy. You know, <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> any I characters. Mean, I, 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 I'm really I have this long and conflicted history with Batman and that there's so much that I really like about the character except I just hate Bruce Wayne. Really? Um he, Yeah, he's just this spoiled child. <laughs> My parents yeah, but, day. I'll put it yeah. this way. All right, so 
Well, exactly. Like, <laughs> what other city? All right. So think of all the cities, you know, in the DCU, you know, like, well, like the Flash is in, was it like Iron? What, what, it, what is it called? It's, like, it's supposed to be like Pittsburgh. Yeah, Keystone. All right. Uh, Metropolis. You know, these, these are all regular cities where the sun shines. And, and then Gotham, which looks like a fucking cemetery for one reason. <laughs> Because he owns everything. And it's just like, yeah, every is pain, and no one gets to get over it. You know? He's just holding everybody down in this pit of despair. <laughs> yeah, just, the guy's got to go. <laughs> He's the worst. <laughs> so, is there a character oh, for DC why, that you would. I, um, I wrote Nightwing. I wrote that. I, I wrote, like, my Batman Joker story is that Nightwing any series that I did. I forgot about that. Where, yeah, where you just have, you know, Nightwing Batman just finally comes to grips with the reality of the situation. And it's just like, you know what? I think I'm going to have to kill this guy. <laughs> you know, because like, it, it, it's, it's just, otherwise it just goes on and on and on. It's like this meat grinder. You know, mm -hmm. people are just going to keep falling into it. So, but yeah, I, I did that, and that pretty much exercised the demon. <laughs> now, <laughs> I really don't, you know, I, I, I can't say there's anything that jumps out of me that's just like, i got to go to D.C. and tell this story. Really? I mean, it, 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 short of having a time machine and going back to the 90s and calling up Axel and be like, you don't know me, but you will in the future. Uh, I want to write books at Vertigo. <laughs> actually when Axel first called me um, it was like just a few months after my, my indie book had come out and he's, you know, he's got this really breathy voice right he's like hey uh, so this is Axel Alonso um, uh, so uh, you, uh, you probably know me I was just I, I'm at Marvel Comics now I, was, I just came here from DC Vertigo and I, my, I was just like aww like <laughs> what like I, why didn't you call me then? Yeah. And, he, and he's like, you know, he's like, so I'm at, you know, I want to, you know, and he's asked me if I was interested in doing Spider-Man. Cause at that point he was the Spider-Man group editor. And mm -hmm. I started told him, I was like, no, not really. You know, don't, don't really have anything. For that. <laughs> I did end up doing a Spider-Man story for him, but it didn't have Spider-Man in it. it and Tangled Web, right? Yep, yep. Yep. Yeah. They even gave me an extra page. And begged me to put Spider-Man, and all I did was put a spider in one corner of one panel. That's about <laughs> the first issue of that. It's a two-issue story, and the first part is 23 pages. Mm. Um, just so you can get that extra page, and they're like, just a flashback. And I was like, ugh. Nah. How about it just a spider? Just kind of, so you know who Tombstone is talking about. As if you didn't already. Yeah. It just never really tripped my trigger. There was a brief moment there where I I felt like I, I should contact at the, at the time Steve Wacker was doing the Spider-Man books. And I was like, I think I got something, but he was, um, I mean, I think, you know, Dan, he had Dan Slott already on there and Dan was, yep. it's like the book he was born to write, you know? Right. <laughs> so, it, it, you know, it wasn't time for the Daniel Way Experimental Comics Hour, right? <laughs> they were like, yeah, just how about you just go do Star the Slayer instead? I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, that was pretty much my whole career. I'd always grab the 
wonkiest, wackiest character. Be like, this one, guys, this one. <laughs> this is Man, characters I liked. I am a little surprised that you don't like Batman because he because like, everything you said about him is kind of it's kind of like the shit you do like darker characters. But I guess because there's no humor there, you, t- you typically blend the dark and the humor together. I just don't under. He's a man child, and I can't <laughs> I can't get with that. I mean, I would just want to victimize him. <laughs> you know, like you know, you want to play the victim. Okay, here you go now. You want to cry about how bad it is? I'm, we're just going to make it worse. You know, <laughs> Nightfall would have nothing on me. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, one thing I wanted to ask too. Uh, I know it's kind of timely with the unfortunate events that happened yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. but did you ever have a chance to meet uh, Stanley? Yeah, I mean, oh. over the years, um, and I was just, I'd actually put something on Twitter yesterday. Um, you know, I, I can't say that I, like, knew Stan. It's not like we were pals. Um, I right. talked to him four, five, six times over the years. Um, I mean, he, I would have to be introduced to him every time, and that's no failing of Stan's. I mean, the, I probably met over a million people, you know what I mean? Right, like, right. It's not going to... And, and like literally and probably everyone who ever worked at Marvel. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'd be like, Hey, this is, you know, this is Daniel way. He's writing this book. And it was, it, but it, it always kind of shook out the same way. And then I don't think a lot of people realize this unless you were literally like physically close to the man, but Stan was a big guy. <laughs> he's like tall and he had this huge voice and this mm-hmm. big hands. And, um, it would say, you know, this is Daniel Way. He's working on this book, and it he would, you know, big handshake, you know, like like a very firm, very good handshake, you know, and he'd be like, you know, how you doing, young man, and <laughs> and, and just great. And then but at the, after that, I would just be like, you know, uh huh, yeah, I just think you're cool, you know. I would just turn into that, just a, a, a moron, um, and and then just kind of hang back and let him do just talk whatever he say whatever he felt like talking about um but the story that i i i just put a this i this there's this thing i remember i I witnessed with stan in new york that i thought was pretty epic and it really left an impression on me um you you can look it up and i'm not going to rehash it here but uh, (laughs) it just you know obviously the man is famous but i like i actually saw that out outside of the fishbowl of comics, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, you know, yeah, I mean, he's the most famous, he was, sorry, the most famous person at any comic convention. Right. But, uh, like out in the wild, that son of a bitch was still the most famous person. <laughs> it, it was stunning. Like everybody knew him. And if like it, it, he was really something, you know, I, I didn't know him personally. I, I, I guess I, you know, obviously I, I, me and I'm sure a lot of you know thousands of other people feel this way, but I wish I had made more of my interactions with him. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think and as far as you know, just being an ambassador for the art form, you know, this, he's incomparable. You know, he was he was always out there, you know, waving the flag when even when no one was. Yeah, you know, and yeah. 
I think the world's a poor place without him. Yeah, mm-hmm. unfortunate. Um, so I, I guess to kind of wrap up, um, so we have the uh, Hit Girl book to look out for you. We have the uh, mm-hmm. the correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, thank you. I knew it had yeah. nymphos in it. I knew it had nymphos yeah. in it. That's what, <laughs> you got that well, coming out for you. That's kind of the point of the title. And uh, <laughs> it, it's fairly, uh, you know, it's kind of lowbrow. It's a memorable title, right? Yes. Um, and then and it, it, it appears to be some extremely low-hanging fruit, and that's by design. You know, so you mm-hmm. – I – there's uh, – I think – and this is – like any good, the you know the the good like grindhouse flicks um, of the past, you know they always had they always had a lot, a lot of social commentary. Um, you had to look for it, um, mm-hmm. but you know even you know I guess one of the most popular examples that people point out is like uh, Night of the Living Dead. You know that was uh, right. that was a, a drive-in genre flick you know but it, it was saying a lot and and even though the movie was hitting you over the head um it was hitting you there was a message that was getting across yes right? mm-hmm. uh, and there's mm-hmm. it, it, there's a lot of examples and i think just out there so i we had an opportunity to to do something you know we you we, we do, we're doing this book called Kill Crazy Nymphos Attack, and and it's got all these crazy women in it, and they're doing these horrendous things. Um, so the question is, why? And you know, uh-huh. at the core of it is, you know, you're there's something to be said about you know what what's going on with um, you know pharmaceutical development and mm-hmm. pharmaceutical companies, and you know why. You know, you know, we. I, I don't want to get. I, I guess I, I don't want to have this long ideological discussion, but just kind of. Um, I think people will be surprised to see what's actually in the book. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was pretty uh, surprised by the first um, ten. There's a twelve page preview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was surprised uh, by that. If you go to go to comicschannel.com, comics with an X. And um, there's a 12-page preview up there, and you can take a look at it. Um, but it, it, it really, it boils down to this. So, if there was a drug, or a virus, or a you know, a, just some sort of magic potion that suddenly and completely removed, you know, thousands of years of, of um, you know, I don't know, subjugation and 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 fear and shame. Just completely remove that from the human female psyche. What would happen? And the the premise that this uh, you know quote unquote this half assed scientist comes up with is that they'll want to blow him and you know <laughs> they'll have they want to have sex with him. Because why um, not, right? But isn't the most isn't like the much more obvious answer that like the first instinct would be for fucking revenge (laughs) right like once it's all gone inhibition is inhibition inhibition keeps you from that's why you you know play by the rules and you don't just steal everything um so 
I mean, when you've got something that's been kind of drilled into you at such a primal level and then it's right. yanked out of you, you're going to have a pretty extreme reaction. Right. Yeah. I can't imagine I wouldn't. <laughs> so that's what happens. <laughs> that's where the, uh, the kill crazy part comes from. <laughs> Um, and so that is going to be come out for all of the Kickstarter backers first, but when can um, mm-hmm. the non-Kickstarter people uh, looking to get in the book? We're working on that. Um, odds are we'll, we'll find out some way to to sell it online. Um, mm-hmm. That's uh, And then, of course, you know, um, We'll have a convention uh, at the conventions that we show up. Uh, Jen and Sylvie, they're probably going to be doing a ton of them. Um, mm-hmm. uh, now, they're mainly kind of their thing. They, they're horror film directors mainly, even though they've done action film. Um, and they they just wrapped up um, a remake of Cronenberg's Rabbit. You ever seen that movie? Yes. It's pretty great. Um, it is. <laughs> Uh, they just did a remake of that. They just finished. Uh, I think yeah, I think they're pretty dumb. So they're going to be, you know, up. In, I, I don't know if it has a release date yet. So, you know, they're going to be for the next year or so. Uh, they're going to be out there in the world a lot, and they'll have it with them. Cool. Um, yeah. So it it'll be out there, one way or the other. But just keep it just comics channel again. Comics with an X. <laughs> Every time I say the name of the website, my daughter coughs. Um, <laughs> comics channel with an X. Uh, go there, and, and it, once it goes on sale somewhere, that's that's where you'd find out. Please don't don't depend on my Facebook page because I'm never on it. <laughs> um, is there anything else in the Turnpike that that you can talk about? No, I mean I got a couple other things that are just kind of rolling along in the background. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it, I guess I'm in kind of a good good uh, good position in that after having done so many books, you know, they had to be done right now. I can now kind of sit back and just do them right, right. on my own schedule. And uh, so, as soon as I have something that's ready to go, it'll be we'll get it out there one way or the other. Sounds good. Yeah, and. Feel free to come back on the show uh, sure. when that happens, too. We'd love to have you back. Um, now also, are there any books that you're reading that the people should be reading as well? Hmm. I read a lot of really whack books. Talk um, to us. I do, too. <laughs> I read Lion Forge. I read all, all the new Lion Forge uh, superhero yeah. books. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Paper Girls. Um, yeah. But I think it pretty, isn't everyone. Yeah, um, kinda. I just read. What did I just? I just read a Charles Forsman book called Slasher. That I thought was pretty interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I, I almost. I, 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 I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of um, superstitious about this in that most books that I like, as soon as I acknowledge that, they get canceled. So, <laughs> okay. Fair enough. I almost don't want to jinx them. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, the next thing that, as soon as I have the chance to read anything, is going to be this Beastie Boys book sitting up on the counter. Um, 
I heard about that. about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I mean, I actually have a stack of comics that I've been needing to read. Actually, I'm going to go up and I can tell you what's in the stack. <laughs> yep. In my to read. Let's see. Uh, let's see. The Iron Captain. It's like this kind of crappy photocopy <laughs> thing. Wow. That looks pretty good. I think I think this person did this book called Morog, M-R-O-G, that I thought was funny as hell. Uh. Um, I'm not going to read that. <laughs> I'm not going to read any of these. What do I have? <laughs> Drain. I haven't read this yet. It looked I, it looked interesting, and I grabbed it. I cannot remember where. Book called Drain. Um, the last paper route by my buddy Sean Jordan. Okay. Uh, what is this? Oh, I read that. Plastic. Did you read that book? book I've plastic, heard of it. It's. It, I, I read. Uh, with the first edition, I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm totally behind on Paper Girls. I've got like six or seven of those. <laughs> got this Steve Dillon Memorial sketchbook that I still can't bring myself to look through. Right. A buddy of mine picked it up at a convention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> I mean, I won't lie to you. I- I've only heard of a few of those books, but... Uh... <laughs> well, I-, I have like... Yeah. The, I'm more, I'm much more apt to pick up um, an extremely small press book than anything mm-hmm. else, just because, you know, I, I just love these, and I've got them from all over the planet. A lot of them in languages that I can't understand, <laughs> um, just because they're, you know, there's only like 50 or these ever that'll ever be made, you know, and they're these great, rare, just special little creative blasts out of nowhere and so i just like to have them around me for like their talismanic power <laughs> uh i don't know some of them got a signed picture from marky ramon there oh wow yeah <laughs> and one Our- from daryl mcdaniels right underneath it along with the <laughs> copy of his book yeah 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 like i said this is just just a stack of Eclectic Random and shit. esoteric. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, I'll, I'll come back from a show and I'll unpack my bag and I'll be like, oh, I grabbed all this stuff. Uh, must have been for a reason, so I'll <laughs> stack on my desk. There you go. So so I'm sorry, one final question for you, because I forgot. Uh, you wrote a pretty, a pretty substantial run on Venom, so how did you like the Venom movie? Oh, I haven't seen it. I, uh, we, I, I almost went and saw it and then I went, I saw, I watched Halloween instead. Ah, so I, I made haven't the best, seen better it. choice. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I mean, more importantly, I, what'd you think of the Halloween movie? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a bit thin, you know, to be honest with you. Um, I just, I, I, I watched it and immediately, I just grabbed, like mentally, I grabbed a red red pen and I was like, fix it here, 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 <laughs> and that would tighten it all up and bring everything closer together and give it a lot more resonance at the end because it just kind of petered out at the end. <laughs> I mean, spoiler alert, 
Um, <laughs> it really didn't snap shut at them like I wanted it to. Mm. Yeah, you're kind of waiting for a little bit of closure, and it doesn't, and more, just sets you up for more sequels. Yeah, I'm not necessarily. I mean, I wasn't necessarily looking for closure, but just you know, it, it follows that formula of the you know you had the you had that the, the final scene, and it 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 just got telegraphed too much and mm. and not when you, you know looking back you can see where it they were setting it up they it was all just really obscured and not in a cool way you know not in a you know usual suspects kind of way where they lay out right. all the pieces and they you know actually show them to you really close in your face and then um it was just like, you know, you thought this was my cage, but it's his, you know, <laughs> it, 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 that, that they really should have stuck with that. You know, yeah. I, 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 it's one of those things. I think when you're an entertainment writer, it's really hard not to see the strings on the puppets, you know, right. right. Even you know, these little bits of dialogue in the first and second act. Actually like, well, I know how that's going to play out. You know, it's the only reason <laughs> why that's on the ADR track. Um, mm-hmm. It, it's just kind of, you know, I, but then again, the, the only reason that I judge it, I guess, as harshly as I do is just because I like it so much. Right. You know, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of the first and even the second movie. Um, and hell, I'll even watch the third one now and again. Oh, oh that weird one that was completely yeah. off topic. <laughs> yep. But, um, um it, which it just had the, but it had it, it had that weird kind of dystopian Cronenberg feel right. to it, where because it was just out in like it just felt like desolate and you know the actors were like unattractive and you know it was just it just had that feel, right? Yeah. But uh, if you have those strong feelings about Halloween, like Brian said, definitely do not watch Venom ever. Not even on TBS two years from now. <laughs> well, I, you know, when I heard that we're going to, you know, take the tack of doing it as a horror film, I was like, yeah, that, well, obviously that makes sense to me because that's what right. I did with it. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you know, I got, uh, Marvel pretty much shot me in the foot and in, in the starting gate by, they have, you know, it's just a funny story. So, I get approached to do this Venom book. I'm like, mm-hmm. all right. Um, had these ideas, pitched them, great. Um, we're all set to go. At the 11th hour, I'm told you can't use Eddie Brock. Uh, I've already, st- <laughs> I'm already writing the first story. I'm like, I, I literally, I, and I, I was still working my um, day job at the time. I was working as a chef. Like, so I'm, I'm, I'm on the phone at the restaurant. I didn't even, I didn't have a cell phone at the time. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I thought they were, I thought they were joking. And I was like, ha ha ha. And they're like, no, no, you really can't. You know, he's tied up in this other storyline in this other book. And I'm like, how yes. the hell am I going to launch a Venom <laughs> book without any props? So, you know, I, inst- so instead of launching with, you know, Venom attached to Eddie Brock, it was just Venom. It's just the symbiote. <laughs> so, um, that's how I had to launch the book. Um, and they showed, and I knew that they had this artist, Francisco Herrera, who was, who I don't think had worked at, with Marvel before. 
And he had this really, it looked like this really kind of bizarre Disney-esque style, but yeah. it was it was really good. I mean, really, yeah. really good. It was just really strange looking, but I didn't have a problem with that because it was a really strange story. Um, so I'm doing, I got contacted by a website. I can't remember which one. And the interviewer asked me what I thought of Tsunami. And I'm like, well, what is that, Tsunami? And they're like, um, the publishing initiative that your book is a part of. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> anime-influenced books for young American readers. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> no one ever told me, that, ever, that it, like, this thing was supposed to skew toward kids. I'm like, this book is scary. This is going to scare the hell out of kids. Yeah, no one ever told me that. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that was, that was, yeah. And of course the book launches like, it was like a top 10 book. Mm -hmm. Um, it launches like just, it was it, <laughs> shaky legs to say the least. And of course that was during the Bill Jemis era where yeah. I was like, Jemis just called me and he's like, it, the book was a hit and he's like, put Wolverine in it. It wasn't <laughs> a question. He was just like, that's why like, he, Wolverine literally just wanders into the story. You know, and I, I started. I had just started working with Marvel, and frankly, just started writing comic books. You know, I'd only mm -hmm. written a few, and I'm like, okay, you know, that you guys would know. And so <laughs> in Wolverine goes, um, and then at some point, I was like, this is just too. This book, this book is a goddamn mess. I, I think I'm gonna quit. And, and the editor on the book begged me to like, don't quit. This is the only book I have that's selling. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm like, all right, I'll stick around. And you know what that son of a bitch does? Like, I, literally, like three weeks later, he quits. He goes <laughs> to work at some mobile game company. So I'm stuck with this book. And that, it, and then I, fi it, I finally get the go-ahead to put Eddie Brock in. So essentially, I'm like, okay, so I'm just going to do my first story, what should have been the first story arc except I have to change it around so that it fits now. And, mm -hmm. uh, so, and, uh, but I said, after this, I'm done. So I ended up ending my run, my 18 issue run on the series with the way it should have began. <laughs> there you go. That's crazy. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing that happened in it. And that almost same thing would happen to me again, years later with Ghost Rider, where I pitched this idea and, Marvel loved it and everybody was on board. And then I was told, uh, except there's this Ghost Rider movie and it's in seven production problems and, you know, it, it's not coming out. It was supposed to come out this year. It's not going to. So can you, you know, just kind of tread water for a while? Oh, man. <laughs> Until that gets straightened out because they don't want it, you know, they don't want a book that's, you know, at odds with the movie. And of course, the movie comes out and no one cares. <laughs> and, and then so and, and i ended up doing the my which should have been my come out role i should uh was my final story arc before i handed i packed up everything and handed it to jason aaron and i was like please mm -hmm. just take this book it's cursed but that's but that's funny too because uh in our review of venom i compared it to the ghostwriter like the first ghostwriter movie oh really yeah, that's, that's what I compared. That's what it's the most. Yeah, that's what's most like to me. Yeah, when I was, you know, I was writing the book when it came out, so people would ask me, you know, well, what do you think of the Ghost Rider book, you know, movie? I'm like, I think Eva Mendes is great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, next question, please. 
<laughs> Don't really know what else to say, guys. <laughs> it's definitely a movie, yeah. Yep, it is. <laughs> it's a movie. It is 90 to 110 minutes <laughs> worth of footage, for sure. You cannot argue that. <laughs> Yeah, but um, take our advice and don't ever watch Venom, uh, ever. <laughs> and that's strange because, you know, Tom Hardy is a hell of an actor. Then again, yeah, yes! I watched, uh, what was that movie he did when he played the um, the gangsters? Uh, the the Cray London... movie? Yeah, like yeah. the Cray Brothers? Yeah, I forget the name of it. Like, the Taurus or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I, I was excited about that movie, and I'm watching it. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, like, it's just like, I mean, he's acting his butt off, but like, where's the, mo- like, did, did no one, did every, was everyone on the set just so mesmerized by his acting they forgot to make a movie around him? <laughs> you know, like, there's, it was just a total mess. You know, I was yeah. so disappointed in that thing. That's also better than <laughs> the Venom movies. So, you know. <laughs> oh, well, uh, yeah, I mean, Odds, odds are I'll end up watching it on some flight. That's probably <laughs> the, the best. Uh, isn't that where you always watch those movies that you just exactly. like? Son of the mess. Okay. Half, <laughs> half give a shit about. And you're like, well, it's better than the other crap selections. So I guess I'll watch this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So on that note, um, <laughs> I guess we will... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's get back to your beautiful weather in Hawaii while we're freezing our asses off here in, in Michigan. <laughs> oh, is it is it cold up there already? Cold as fuck. It's like twenty. It's, uh, it's in the twenties uh, right now. Yeah, I don't miss that. <laughs> Nor should you. Twenties <laughs> and snowing. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, it's already snowing. There's snow before yeah. um, Halloween. Uh, no, not this year. Not this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was always sure. a bummer. Like, you know, I'd be all excited to have my Lone Ranger costume, and my mom would be like, all right, put your coat on. What? They can't see my costume! My, I, I got a whole thing going on here. <laughs> I, I think there was a couple times where I would have, like, a snowsuit under the costume. That was never that was never a good look, right? No. Like, yep. Unless you're, a, like, a ghost, you know? Just like... <laughs> Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Cool. I'll talk to you guys at some other some point in the future. Yeah, sounds awesome. good, man. All right. Talk to you then. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Yep.